0: Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health, as a company, does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed we just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things so sit back relax breathe and enjoy the show hey hey it's dr J. That rhymes. wasn't really trying for that, but uh, just kind of naturally and organically came through. Welcome back to another episode of the Hanu Health Podcast. Got another special one for you, and I don't mean to bombard you with all things Ben Greenfield, but this is two weeks in a row that we wanted to release some content from Ben Greenfield. Now, it's not actually an interview with Ben Greenfield; it's actually me on Ben Greenfield's podcast. So, if you're a follower of Ben Greenfield, you might have already heard this one, but if not, you're going to get the special opportunity to. To hear me being interviewed by ben greenfield on his podcast about all things hrv and Hanu. Now, this was a really special occasion for me as a podcaster, as a friend of Ben's. And the reason it was so special is because obviously we wanted to show Ben's crew, Ben's following, uh, those who love his work. We wanted to show them the world of Hanu. But one thing that I loved about this podcast that you will find really interesting, especially if you are an alpha tester, if you are someone who is a pre-order, which you should complete your pre-order, by the way, I'll mention more about that here in just just a second. But the other thing is, too, is if you're just interested in kind of the first experiences with Hanu, I love this one. And that is because Ben, from the very beginning of the podcast, has the Hanu strap on, he's got his app open, and we walk through a lot of the features within the application. So he asks me questions on what he's seeing, like why his data is doing what it's doing. And I provide maybe more or less an in-depth explanation as to what is going on. So you get to hear Ben's use cases of the HANU. We walk through many of the different features like the resonance frequency assessment that you get to do, uh, making sure that you're tracking things like bolt score, doing all of these beautiful practices. We talk about this idea of snapshot, which is like a testing feature, morning readiness reading feature. It all, all of the goodies are in there. So Ben and I unpack it all in this podcast so that I I hope that you really enjoy this one because it was a blast for me to do and to be able to share with Ben's audience. And I'm very grateful that Ben said, yeah, share it with the Hanu audience as well. So if you've already listened to the podcast, yeah, it's, it's, it's the one that I did with Ben that Ben uploaded on his uh, podcast stream on his site. But if you haven't listened to it, here's your opportunity to do it. And to support Hanu while you do it by listening uh, on our podcast. A couple other ways that you can help support the podcast. Now, that I'm just going to throw that in there. you See how I did that, throwing those little plugs in there? There's a couple ways. Number one is just to pre-order our device. So you're never going to get the discounts like we are giving right now. 40% off. This is a $299 device with so basically $300 that we're giving to you for $180. That is off. The great thing about this, though, is that if you are one of the pre orders, you have the opportunity, yes, to get it at 40% off, but we give you a free polar, you get that device for free. And then you're grandfathered into your monthly subscription after the 12 months is over. So you pay 180 bucks, that's all in for 12 months worth of subscription to the device, uh, or I guess I should say to the platform, you get the device for free, You get keep it, you never have to send it back even after 12 months are over, you can use that that device in any other way that you'd like. And it links and syncs to many other types of applications. And then when the 12 months is over, then you still get 40% off that subscription price. So we wanted to make this a really good deal for you that you couldn't pass up. And we're going to be including so many new features as we go along the way. I mean, we're talking about just libraries of meditation practices, of breath work practice, oxygen advantage practices, like all of these are going to be included as we go. So that's one way you can support. The other way is that if you are one of the few, I shouldn't say few, actually many, if you're one of the many individuals who put $29 down to save your spot, you just need to complete your pre-order. So to complete your pre-order, you should have received an email from us uh, that, that's come out multiple times to try to get you to go in and finish it. Finish that pre-order because that's gonna give you access to the app for 12 months. You're gonna get the device. You're gonna only have to pay the 151 that's left to, to make it 180. And then also we're gonna send you that $150 gift box. So please make sure that you complete your pre-order. If you put the $29 down, we're not just gonna take it add the rest of the money out of your credit card. We want you to go ahead and complete the order so that then we can yes, send that to you as soon as we're ready to ship. Which which is very, very, and I'll repeat again, very soon. And last thing that I wanted to mention, if you want to support this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcast and write us a five-star review. It is one of those things that can really drive people towards our podcast and really can just give us some good hype and momentum. And if we read that review on the Q&A that I do with Patrick McCune, then you can write to us at podcast@hanuhealth.com and we will send you a Hanu Health goodie pack full of amazing Hanu and oxygen advantage gear. Uh, that's it folks. I hope that you really enjoy this podcast episode that I did with the, the one and only Ben Greenfield on his podcast. Again, enjoy it. He's wearing this thing, telling you about what he sees and you will be able to experience this yourself soon because you're all going to be amazing pre-orders. All right, everybody take care, enjoy the show and let us know what you think.
1: All right, folks, so I'm recording a podcast right now with a chest strap on, like a Bluetooth-enabled heart rate monitoring strap. Frankly, I I really have not been immersed in wearing these type of things ever since I kind of hung up the hat with Ironman Triathlon Racing and quit monitoring my heart rate in real time 24 seven. But I recently received a special package in the mail. And it was this newfangled heart rate monitor that ties to this app called Hanu, Hanu. Um, And Hanu is essentially like a heart rate variability, like a stress monitoring or or HRV monitoring uh, app and tool, which sounds kind of boring, but it actually goes way beyond that. Now, here's a cool thing. If you ever listen to any of my Q&A episodes, you might know that my co-host on those episodes, Dr. J.T. Wiles, is basically one of the world's leading experts in HRV monitoring. And he's actually the guy who has pioneered the development of this thing that uh, basically gives you real-time biofeedback about everything that's going on in your body and then trains you in terms of learning things like stress resilience, breathwork tactics, etc. So I'm I'm actually wearing it right now, J., just so you know, I'm a good student. I've got it on. You are. I'm learning. I appreciate it. Yeah, and so I'm looking at it, and I've got like heart rate variability. I got heart rate. I got respiration rate. I have life events. I have assessment data. I've exercised data when I click the little train button. It says resonance breathing, box breathing, custom breathing. There's like assessments on there, like resonance frequency assessment, bolt score. I probably have a lot of questions for you about this thing, but uh, what do you think? Should we should we dive in and, and talk about all things Hanu?
0: Yeah, you got the questions, and I hope and I think I do have the answers. So let's do it.
1: All right. Well, the first question is easy, dude. It's, it's total, total softball. What what the heck does Hanu mean?
0: <laughs> See, that question is asked a lot. And initially, uh, my wife, uh, because her name is Hannah, and we were talking uh, before we were recording on this, she was like, is like, are people going to get this confused? Like you named a company after me? And I'm like, no, actually, like we searched far and deep for a really good, just catchy name. We wanted to keep it short. And like any good, like business entrepreneur, you start to look at other languages and say, okay, what is something that is kind of congruent or associated with our company that like sounds better than than just like breathing or whatever else we might call it HRV. Uh, and when Hanu is actually Hawaiian for breath. Ooh, and wow. what's kind of cool about that is that, yeah, we're, we're based out of, uh, North County, San Diego is one of our hubs. I'm not obviously I'm in the East coast as many people may know. And, uh, but it has very much a Hawaii vibe in San Diego, especially like Northern County, San Diego with surf city and surf towns. And so, uh, we were like, yeah, this is fitting for us. Hanu Hawaiian breath.
1: I dig it. I dig it. Okay. Well, I've, I'm going to add that to my vernacular now. Hanu. I mean, you're, uh, didn't you say your, your wife's name is Hannah, right?
0: Yeah. My wife's name is Hannah.
1: So does she actually think that, it, that your new app is named after her?
0: <laughs> At first, we had this discussion where she was like, are people going to get confused right. by this? And if if like, it was me, I would no. nod
1: and say, yes, babe. I just developed my, my new business after you. I love you so much. So,
0: that's exactly yeah. what I did. But I, n- I mean, I'm hoping that she just doesn't come across this podcast and she'll never yeah. know. So no harm, yeah. no foul.
1: I would just I would just nod and smile. I <laughs> were you? So so what uh, what what makes you the expert in this, man? I mean, like, like, you know, you and I have talked a lot on the podcast before, but we haven't really talked about like your specific history in terms of what got you interested in HRV and and how you came to be such an expert in because like you you have a podcast and you know i've listened to it before and it's pretty much just like deep deep dives into stuff that goes way beyond just like you know oh here's how to get a higher hrv or a low hrv like you get into parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system balance and the different smoothing algorithms there's you know all these different things that that i know you've built into the hanu app but how'd you how'd you kind of get to be interested in this stuff in the first place
0: yeah, I'll try to truncate it because it's a little bit of a lengthy story, but I'm a clinical psychologist by trade, um, but my specialization was in a field called health psychology. And if people aren't familiar with what health psychology is as a discipline, it's really like the intersection or it's like the bi-directional relationship between physical and mental ailment. So a lot of my training was geared towards that. So when I was doing my doctoral program, I wrote a dissertation kind of in this area looking at demoralization and how it relates to people who have physical ailment and diagnoses and the interplay between that and mental health wait demoralization Mm -hmm. you want me to unpack
1: that yeah unpack that a little bit
0: yeah so demoralization is more or less like a stronger clinical term for this idea of helplessness it's like a more um it's a more pervasive level of helplessness and hopelessness and so we know that as people uh, and again read my dissertation go find it (laughs) so to all the audience out there i'm totally kidding it's like an actual dissertation and probably very boring for most people uh but the the thing that we found is that most people who experience chronic ailment so physiological ailment whether it's cardiovascular disease diabetes especially chronic pain um, cancer these individuals experience a fair amount of hopelessness and helplessness and that significantly relates to overall treatment outcomes both physiologically and psychologically so that's what my dissertation was on
1: okay got it well i'm looking at the app right now and it says my stress resilience is fair so hopefully i'm not too demoralized today no, but we we we, we can not. jump into into the app later on. So so you did this dissertation. You you got into HRV, and did you just start measuring it on yourself initially, or was this something you started using with your patients, or how exactly did it flesh out in terms of your your business and and your your day to day existence?
0: Yeah. So what's what's interesting about it is that uh, I had never really dove into the field of HRV when I was in study. I had heard of the term, and I've heard of the term biofeedback. That's much more of kind of a clinical utilization of HRV, which is really what Hanu is based on. Again, just heard a little bit about it. I was more interested in like the integrative holistic health strategies like nutritional psychology, mindfulness meditation, like the role of exercise. And it wasn't until I became a resident, I worked at a VA hospital in Richmond, Virginia, and one of my rotations or rounds was I worked in an integrative pain center. Is actually called VIP, Veterans Integrative Pain Clinic. Um, Is that VIP? No. I can't even remember the acronym. But anyway, it, uh, the role of this clinic was we were taking veterans who were basically just sick and tired of being on opioid-based medications. They were ready to titrate themselves off medication because it was causing so much dysfunction and so much difficulty. And they weren't getting kind of the, the pain relief that they wanted. So they came here for a more holistic approach. And I initially came there. I was develop, I was responsible for developing a nutritional psychology clinic because that was really kind of what I was becoming known for. It was my specialization. But it wasn't until I spent some just hardcore time there, a lot of time there, that I was exposed to some different therapeutics like acupuncture and guided imagery meditation, and then this little thing called biofeedback. And again, I had heard that term, but I had never really, I didn't know what it was. So I started shadowing somebody who was doing biofeedback with these chronic pain patients. And you have to remember, veterans, they're a very interesting group of individuals, but also these are veterans with long standing pain who are really trying to get off medication. And so uh, a lot of times can they can be a little bit rough and gruff. And I love that it's, it was very challenging. But I love that interaction. And you know, when you hook somebody up to a biofeedback machine, initially, they think, Um, The strategies that you're giving me is that these are breathing techniques and we're just kind of quantifying the effects. And at first, like, they're like, I don't know if I buy into this. But then when they start to see this objective data change and then more more importantly, they subjectively start to feel less and less pain. And we published on this uh, on multiple occasions within this clinic while I was there. Then my eyes started to become more open to, oh goodness, this is a very interesting field. So that's when I like took a deep dive and specializing in the field of biofeedback, but also heart rate variability. And, uh, and really because I went into the weeds, both from a clinical and research perspective, like I just became so passionate about it that I kind of forgot, <laughs> forgot everything else. And I, and I slightly kid on that, but this is really where I've spent the bulk amount of my time, um, as a, as a clinician, as a researchers in the field of heart rate variability and developing the best possible therapeutics that I could. And you have to remember too, Ben, like back when I was doing training, like wearables, weren't a, big thing. There was no such thing as aura. There was no such thing as whoop. And the ones that were out there like Fitbit and stuff were really geared towards like, you know, walking soccer moms. And so they weren't really utilizing more advanced biometrics like HRV. So when wearables started in thanks,
1: thanks for insulting all of our soccer mom listeners just now, by the way, yeah. they just pulled over in their minivans cursing at you.
0: <laughs> right. I know. Well, maybe I can sell them on Hanu because mm-hmm. it's, it's made for the soccer mom. <laughs> um, actually, it's made for the biohacker and the soccer mom, which is kind of cool. The biohacking soccer mom. That's right. Yes, right. Hannah Wiles. She's out there. Um, so anyway, you know, I, I think that when the advent of these wearable technologies really brought HRV to the forefront, and I think that's where I started to really go deep because I'm like, oh, now we're like consumer facing. This isn't just clinical, which is where my interest in field of practice was. I'm like, now we're in the consumer face. And so I think that for me, it was the, I mean, the light bulb went off and I said, there's some huge opportunities here in terms of specialization so that I can help more people, but also too, like in the wearable space, uh, which is kind of why we created Hanu.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but there's like okay, so my my aura will measure HRV, like my aura ring, the one I use for for sleep tracking and activity tracking and stuff like that. There's obviously like a ton of different devices out there. Gosh, like I uh, I could. <laughs> I could name a, a billion of them if you were to just go to like the app store and type in HRV or or go to Google or DuckDuckGo and and if you're if you're independent libertarian or something like that and, and you know DuckDuckGo HRV. And you're gonna find a ton, right? Elite HRV and the Bio Strap and again like the Aura and the Whoop. So how how is this strap that I'm wearing literally right now as I'm talking to you any different than the stuff that I already have?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Uh, Like, kind of going back to what I was mentioning earlier, HRV is extremely pervasive. It's basically built into all wearables. And uh, the way that it is assessed in all wearables um, is, for the most part, nowadays, has become fairly uniform. So, for most individuals who are tracking HRV, they're either doing it one of, of two different ways. They're either getting it overnight as a running average while you're asleep or you're getting it like the first thing in the morning. So those are the two common protocols. And those protocols are really looking at nervous system recovery, how well did you recover over the nighttime? And then again, that's a good proxy for, you know, informing future training, but also informing changes in the human stress response. But the one thing that's really missing in the market uh, that that we saw a huge gap at Hanu is that there's nothing out there other than one other adv- on one other device. There was only uh, that one other device that was really tracking heart rate for variability continuously and then providing for us we wanted to provide these tailored and personalized feedbacks and training so again what we do that is very differently is that we're actively looking at heart rate variability it's continuous it's all day long and then when we see you shift in and out of your baseline range so we have an upper ceiling and a lower shelf well then we're going to alert you we're going to say it looks like something's a little bit off within your nervous system now, one thing to clarify is that's not an inherently bad thing. I think sometimes people think that these dips in HRV are like a bad thing, kind of like having an increase in blood glucose is a bad thing. And it's like, not necessarily, It actually can be quite a good thing. And it provides us with a level of information, but everything is contextualized, which is why in Hanu, we actually will ask people like, what's going on? Number one, what's your subjective mood like right now? And then also two, like, what's the thing that's happening in the current moment? So that's what we referred to. And you mentioned earlier, it's called life events. And that mechanism is for us to be able to look at trends over time, because the best way to self-regulate is to become more self-aware of what's impacting our nervous system at any given
1: time. But And by the way, that, that's a good point that you made about the fact that you don't necessarily want your HRV continuously high, you know, like, like some of the clients who I work with, and especially the, the athletes who I work with, I monitor their HRV. And a lot of times when they're... Uh, wanting to build fitness remarkably, or if I'm training like a, like a, an, an actor to prepare for a movie or a triathlete to prepare for a race, I will oftentimes have certain periods of the week or the month where as I'm tracking their HRV, cause I have access to all their data, I will purposefully get them to a state where their HRV is consistently low for a couple of days and then give them a deload week or a deload day, a recovery day, or a rest week, or, or a higher carb day, or you know, there's, there's other methods that you can use to allow the body to bounce back more quickly. But what happens is you almost get this effect that's that's known in the in exercise science or or periodization literature as a supercompensation, meaning that their fitness increases even more than it would have if they just kept their HRV high or consistent so you know similar to blood glucose like you said like you know my blood glucose spikes in the sauna it spikes when i exercise you know it spikes uh briefly acutely in response to cold thermogenesis but then it dips it stabilizes and those brief forays are actually training my body to be more sensitive to glucose in the same way that brief forays into a dip in hrv can actually be a way to build stress resilience you know probably a perfect example that would be like if i if i were to wear a real-time hrv monitor in the gym it's like the back squat is the one exercise that I've found that just dumps HRV dramatically. And a lot of people be like, well, you should quit squatting, bro, because it's lowering your HRV. Well, no, it means that that's like one of the most stressful things I can do in the gym. And if that's one of the most stressful things I can do in the gym, well, that means that's one of the things that's going to give me the most bang for my buck from a fitness standpoint.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And there are physiolog we have physiological expectations of when we should see heart rate go up. And subsequently heart rate variability go down and exercise is one of them. I actually had somebody reach out to me. This is a few years ago. Now, actually, I think when I did the last podcast on this with you, Ben, uh, someone reached out to me and they're like, every time I get in the gym and I get on the treadmill, I see my heart rate variability go from like 60 milliseconds down to like five or six milliseconds. Like, is there something wrong here? And I would see, and I can see why people, can become quite confused with that because there's a, a kind of this myth that's being passed around. And I'm sure we'll talk about common myths around HRV that like you should be comparing yourself to others and you should have this level of expectation that HRV should kind of just stay somewhat stagnant. And that's a good thing. And not necessarily like context really is key. And what we know from the literature is that even with exercise, because it is an immense physiological stressor, you should expect to see HRV go in that direction. But the rebounding effect afterwards, is the really intriguing thing that you see with Hanu. So after an exercise, the rebound effect that automatically occurs, or at least I should say should occur, is really fascinating to watch. But also, if you're using down-regulating techniques or parasympathetically down-regulating techniques like breath work, the in-between sets or after a session, kind of like your post-workout stretch but with your breathing, you will see immense rebound effects from heart rate variability and heart rate. And it's really motivating from a recovery standpoint because what you're, what you're actually seeing there by seeing those data change, you're seeing your nervous system repair faster and more frequently than you would if you're not practicing these down-regulating techniques. And that's not to say you need technology in order to do that, but it's really helpful in the conditioning response. And then also the accountability response when you can indeed watch it live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so speaking of watching it live, so I'm actually looking at mine right now and for, for MS, which stands for millisecond, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay. So, so mine says right now 19, actually no, it says 20, just change. Oh, wow. I'm tired. Went up a little bit while I was talking to you. So it must be very stress relieving for me to talk to Jay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Right. As soon as I started talking, it's at about like, it's ranging like 22, 23, 24, you know, kind of moving around in real time. Now, if I go, I'm literally just like holding my phone right now and doing this. If I go to my aura app, right. And I click on my readiness score, it shows my heart rate variability. Like last night, was ranging between like 80 and 89 and so is is that accurate like does that mean that when I'm asleep, my my MS heart rate variability score is that much freaking higher than when I'm awake, or is it because HANU uses a different type of algorithm than say like Aura? Because it seems like a pretty big spread from like twenty twenty three up to like eighty five. Yeah,
0: no, and it and it is. So yeah, let me first mention that we are indeed utilizing the exact same algorithm. So when you look at Aura, when you look at Whoop, when you look at other wearables, they utilize a primary time domain indice of heart rate variability called RMSSD. It's the root mean squared of success differences. Um, and it's actually looking at the amount of variability that occurs in between heartbeats um, and the difference that occurs in between heartbeats. So what this is actually telling us is that, again. By, by,
1: by the way, I'm going to interrupt for people who, who don't have their rocket scientist helmet strapped on. All Jay was referring to is HRV is just measuring the the tiny, tiny beat-to-beat variations in milliseconds from heartbeat to heartbeat. Higher HRV means that you have a little bit better nervous system response because there's more variation. Lower HRV means there's less variation. Like there'd be like whatever. Your heart beats, there's 0.5 milliseconds. Your heart beats again, there's 0.5 milliseconds. And again, 0.5, that'd be like a low HRV Whereas a high HRV would be it's 0.3, it's 0.6, it's 0.7, it's 0.1, and your nervous system is really responding well in, in real time. Right.
0: Yeah. You got it. Okay. You got it. You don't want the heart is not a metronome, so you don't want to see it starting to pace itself because that means there's significant taxation on the nervous system and there's potential complications. So, yeah. And, and again, like not to not to sound like I'm you know beating the same drum over and over again. Um, I think I've only said it once, actually, though, is uh, the, if you want to get into take a deep dive into like HRV physiology. Well, yeah, you can tune in to the Hanu Health podcast. But also like I did like a two, two and a half hour, I think, podcast uh, for you, Ben. That I'm sure is probably still available. That is like the yeah.
1: deep, deep dive. I'll, I'll I'll link to it in the show notes. And by the way, the show notes for today's show for anybody listening in it's at ben slash Hanu podcast. Hanu is spelled H-A-N-U, much to the chagrin of Jay's wife. It's not spelled H A N N A, but that's okay. So It's <laughs> right. Ben Greenfield slash Hanu podcast. You guys are using the same smoothing algorithm. So so why is my HRV so much lower? Because I'm not that stressed out talking to you. I mean you're nice and peaceful, bro. Like why why is my HRV so much lower than it was last night. Yeah,
0: so there's a couple of things physiologically that are occurring when we're in a tonic or a sleep state. um, So that more resting phase than what you're doing right now. So one thing that you'll notice Ben, like if you stop talking, um, for the most part, unless your nervous system is significantly revved up, if you stop talking and you stay still, and if you especially start to manipulate your breathing or slow your breathing down, you'll see heart rate variability go up. So talking is actually one that can significantly suppress HRV. Again, not a bad thing, but you have to think, of what, what is happening when you're talking? Well, you're utilizing energy. So you, when you're utilizing energy, you need your parasympathetic nervous system to retract a little bit, not excessively, but a little bit. And for your sympathetic nervous system to sometimes dial itself up because again, you need to mobilize energy. You need to mobilize glucose. Talking isn't something that, you know, is not a calorie burner. It is. Uh, so that's one component. But the other component that we have to remember is that there are, when someone is at rest, so when someone is asleep, What's not happening is a few things. Uh, number one is that while you are unconsciously processing information, so cognition is still occurring, because it is an unconscious process, which is very different than someone who might have experienced trauma, so let's say someone who has PTSD, when you are not consciously processing information, then we see that the parasympathetic nervous system is able to kick into more high gear and help with recovery and with repair. So we would say that from a recovery state, sleeping at night is typically better, and obviously it is needed than us going throughout our day. Now, obviously, we can actively do things to recover our nervous system throughout the day, but it's not likely going to have the amount of potency from a nervous system change than will be sleep. So that's why it's so incredibly valuable and important for sleep. Yeah, the yeah, other thing. Yeah, that makes too- sense.
1: Well, while you're talking, by the way, like I just started kind of breathing, and I went up to about twenty nine. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: exactly what you would expect to see. And that level and that and you seeing that objective data change is is a testament to at that period of time between you were last talking. And now you are having better resilience and fortitude in your nervous system through repair and recovery. And, and we'll get into strategies, I'm sure in a little bit. And we'll talk about why breathing is so incredibly important. Um, but being able to see that data provides a lot of value. And then it keeps bringing us back and back again to condition that response, because we see the positive effects that active rest and that breath work and biofeedback can have in it. One more thing that I'll clarify, um, to kind of wrap this part of the, the, the conversation up, uh, well, I guess we don't have to wrap it up, but just to kind of like put the icing on the cake is that there are significant, um, hormonal responses that are going to affect your stress response, regardless of whether or not you're actually stressed. When you're asleep, you're not nearly, you're not secreting nearly as much Um, CRF, you're not secreting. Sorry, CRH. You're not secreting nearly as much glucocorticoids and cortisol, especially throughout the day. And so these are going to help to tame the nervous system. Again, this is really good for repair. And when you wake up um, first thing in the morning, well, now we're starting to have more spikes in cortisol. Now that we're having more spikes in norepinephrine and epinephrine and other glucocorticoids, and so we see heart rate go up. It's very different throughout the day than it is at night. And therefore, we see heart rate variability suppressed. so one thing to clarify here is that it is not inevitably bad that HRV is much lower throughout your day than it is at night because we would expect that from a physiological perspective that is absolutely what you would expect. What is more interesting is actually how how well you can stay within your baseline window. So that's how well you can stay above your upper or your lower shelf and within the range of your of your upper ceiling. So I, I think that, does that help to clarify, Ben? I just want to make sure I was, I was being clear.
1: Yeah, it does, actually. Well, while you were talking, I actually got up to go up another eight MS points by clicking the train button. And then, I, I wasn't ignoring you, but while I was listening to you, I, I pressed the, there's two different breathing options on here, resonance breathing and box breathing. I pressed the box breathing one, and it started me into a minute of four count in, four count hold, four count out, and four count hold. And it let me choose my exercise position. So I chose standing because it says you can choose sitting, standing, or lying down. And it went up another 10 points just from doing that alone. So obviously, there, there's some some built-in features in here that help you if you look at it and it's low. And I actually want to ask you about resonance breathing here in a second and why one would choose that versus box breathing. But before I do, I, I have a, a couple more kind of logistical questions for you. Um, this, this whole idea of wearing a heart rate strap. Right. Like, um, d- is, is this something that you think is going to be like the, the end all for the Hanu app? Or do you guys envision like branching out into some kind of a wearable or, or why, why is it a heart rate strap right now?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So when you look at what do wearables, um, all wearables, what do they base their comparison against when they're looking at the efficacy of their data output? And in the end, it is a Polar H10 ECG chest strap, which is what you have on, which is what we are going to market with. I'll tell you a little bit about the roadmap, but I'll tell you why we chose that. The reason being is because when you're doing something as complex as capturing continuous heart rate variability, and again, this is continuous, it never stops capturing heart rate variability. When you're doing something like this, you need the most precise instrument that you possibly can. And the reason that you need that uh, is because when we look at heart rate variability, it is calculated and it is measured very differently than heart rate. Heart rate typically will average out, whereas heart rate variability has to be extremely specific and extremely Accurate. This is one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of the more common wearables doing continuous heart rate variability monitoring. Now, here's kind of the hint, hint for what, where we're going with this is that while we're going to market with the most accurate device that is possibly available, which is again a, an ECG chest strap, which for all intents and purposes, like you don't have to deal with electrodes, like it snaps on, snaps, snaps off, like you can go on around your day and you know put it on when you want to wear it, put, you know take it off when you don't. It has a 400 hour uh, battery life, which which is like insane that it'll actually capture data for 400 hours of use. Um, the, the, we we really wanted to go out and and highlight kind of the efficacy of our algorithms and our protocol with those who demanded accuracy with their, with their wearable. And so with the health optimizer, with the biohacker, the peak performer, like we can guarantee you that you are always going to have 100% accurate data or at least 99.9% accurate data because that's what Polar uh, speaks to to their level of efficacy. Now, what we see kind of down the road is that there is an opportunity for us um, to market and and work with other wearable companies to integrate our software and our platform with these wearables. Now, it will look very different. I think that the health optimizer or the person who wants that continuous like hardcore data is probably going to always benefit from wearing an ECG chest strap. However, If someone's not as concerned with kind of continuous, accurate HRV, then there are mechanisms to where we could use PPG technology, which is photoplasmography. It's basically those little shining, you know, green lights or or infrared lights that are on wearables. Like we can, when someone is very still, get very good data, which is why Aura and Whoop and other companies do this at night. But once artifact or movement is introduced, then heart rate variability goes out the window. That's because you need something that is extremely, extremely accurate
1: now from what i understand though like if i'm wearing this strap and my heart rate variability drops into a stressful range it will actually pull up a notification and bring me straight into a breathing exercise to bring it back up right like if i've got like let's say i know this is one thing that i personally do like i'll get email apnea like i'll start to read emails and i'll and i'll hold my breath and i know that dips my hrv I can get a cue on my phone when that happens, right? Yeah, that's correct. So
0: what's really cool about it is that when when you first put on Hanu, we will look and assess your data because HRV and stress resiliency metrics that we use, heart rate and respiration rate, are very personalized. So we need to know what's your baseline range. And the more and more you wear it, the better and better we have in terms of accuracy of identifying that upper window and that lower window. When you fall below that window for a set period of time, because throughout the day you're going to go through dips, but we know that certain periods of time. Time outside of that window, we're actually going to alert you by pushing a notification to your phone. And you'll have two things that you can do. One is log it. And by log it, we ask for a couple of things. Number one, like tell us what was going on. So for you, Ben, you could say, oh man, I was emailing somebody and I was holding my breath. So we actually have that as an option. So you can click email and email apnea as an option in the life events. The second thing you can do is rate your subjective experience. And you rate that on a Likert scale from I'm, you know, at that point in time, I was either moderately stressed, or maybe I was extremely stressed. Um, Or you can go the opposite direction, I was actually pretty good at that moment in time, not sure what was going on with my HRV. Or maybe I was, you know, walking and that impacted HRV. And so I was actually feeling pretty good on my leisurely stroll. So you can log it there. And again, the point of that is to be able to look back over the past week and say, what were those things that were affecting my HRV? Well, was it my commute? We put that one in there because that happens to a lot of people. Commute can be really, really stressful. Or maybe it was family relationships, or maybe it was a coworker or a boss, or maybe it was email apnea. There's a lot of things that we put in there. And that's kind of the self-awareness piece. But then we always provide a tailored opportunity for you to train self-regulation or resiliency. And we do that um, predominantly, predominantly through something called resonance breathing. And I know you wanted to talk about that so we can unpack that one. Yeah. But resonance yeah, I, Well, I yeah, uh,
1: actually, well, I did want to ask you about resonance breathing, but in terms of this assessment, like I did it, I did it sitting in bed uh, when I, when I first got this package a few weeks ago, it was called a, um, what was it called? A resonance frequency assessment. It was like 12 minutes of me breathing with this cue that was on the phone that told me when to start breathing when it was like a breathing pacer to inhale and exhale with the on-screen instructions and so was that what the the was that the assessment that's actually determining what my ideal breathing rate will be that the app will then use when I am stressed to tell me okay breathe in breathe out but it tells me the frequency based on that initial assessment
0: yeah, you got it. So what we do initially is that we set resonance breathing at a rate of six breaths per minute. So that's either a five second inhale, five second exhale, or a four second inhale, six seconds exhale, which most people prefer that longer exhalation. That's just what it's set at naturally, though. Technically, that is not resonance breathing. So we are the only app that I know that is hardware integrated thus far that does true resonance breathing off of a true resonance breathing assessment. So in the biofeedback literature, the most studied and what has been found to be the most efficacious biofeedback treatment and therapeutic is resonance breathing the way that we come across and let me explain what resonance means so when we talk about resonance we're talking about cardiovascular resonance so if we think about like what resonance means in music per se is that i might um, sing a note um, in a building that has great acoustics but if my note's a little bit off it may not resonate with those acoustics but if i hit the note perfectly that it may resonate really really well within that room and sound great well we actually know that our heart responds to different rates of breathing very similar to what i just mentioned in that analogy what we can do in order to find that is go through what's called a resonance breathing a resonance breathing assessment And this was developed and coined by Dr. Paul Lair. He actually sits as an an advisor on our board at Hanu, and we brought him on to give us the true, efficacious, evidence-based protocol that he developed um, on resonance breathing. So what you did, Ben, and what anybody who has Hanu will do is that we ask that one of the first things that you do is run through this resonance breathing assessment, because the intention behind it is to find what is the most optimal breathing rate for stimulating vagal tone, for stimulating the autonomic. Nervous system and helping you to better engage in a relaxation or parasympathetic response, and so with that, this assessment also looks at where increases the uh, what breathing rate increases HRV the most. What breathing increases a, a process called respiratory sinus arrhythmia, which is the distinctive changes in heart rate across the respiratory cycle the most. So we call that heart rate amplitude or respiratory sinus arrhythmia amplitude. And then when we are breathing, what is the best match of breath to heart rate. So what I mean by that is when you breathe in and you breathe out, how closely does heart rate follow? So as you're inhaling, is it a one-to-one heart rate is increasing as you inhale? And as you exhale, is it one-to-one? We look to see what breathing rate gets you the closest there. So we take you through a system of assessments, which, uh, it's to last about 12 minutes long. So it's a little bit lengthier, but once you get it, you're done. And resonance frequency rate does not change across the lifespan. They've actually seen That's that. What I was going to ask you,
1: like if you had to retest a bunch, but it'll just stay the same, huh?
0: No, it just stays the same. And actually there's been a lot of research about this, uh, indicating that if it does change, that the most it will ever change would be half a breath per minute. And so a lot of times it's not worth doing it, but you can take this thing as many times as you want. It just might be a little bit of a waste of time because you're going to likely get the same answer over and over again.
1: There's bound to be one person out there who measures the amount of cacao nibs that they put in their smoothie, who are going to really hold that half breath per minute dear.
0: That's right. No, it's, it's so true. But what we do is we take you uh, through a series of breathing uh, trials, and you start off at six and a half breaths per minute, and then we take you down to as low as four and a half breaths per minute. And you test each trial at uh, at lowering a half breath per minute. So six and a half, six, five and a half, five, four and a half. Do it for two minutes for each round. And at the end, you're presented with your resonant frequency rate. Um, So for uh, what was yours, Ben? I'm curious. Do you remember?
1: No, I'm going back to see if I could find it in the app. Yeah, like if you click, I I can't see it in here. Oh, wait, it says six. I don't know if that's correct. Yeah,
0: that's probably correct. Yeah, if it says six, it's it's probably correct. Yeah. And so what we then do is we'll we'll populate your resonance breathing training. Like you don't have to change it. It'll automatically populate to whatever your resonance breathing is. And then when you do receive a notification or alert and we say, hey, are you ready to train? That's our go to because when we look at the evidence base of biofeedback, um, nothing is as strong in terms of autonomic nervous system change as resonance breathing. So we think that's kind of our hallmark training is that you get the True 100% evidence-based assessment that comes from the mouth of the guy who created it, Dr. Paul Lair. But you also get uh, the uh, the training built in as kind of like our go-to unique personalized training for you.
1: Yeah, I've got the resonance breathing pulled up right now, and it's cueing me with this breath pacer to do the inhale. And then the exhale, although I think that eventually you guys should totally work in some kind of haptic sensation. So I don't have to actually look at the screen to do it. I think, I think that would be yeah, pretty cool because then, that's then coming. you can just be like checking. Okay, good. It is coming. I was going to say, I could be checking email and just get that automatic cue. Cause I actually read this book. I forget the name of the book, but it was basically a book about resonance breathing. And in the book, there was a downloadable MP3 that you could play in the background I, I, gosh, I wish I could find it. I could play it for people to hear. But essentially what I did for like a month was I'd play it when I was checking emails and it sounds kind of like this. Ding, click, 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 ding, click, click. And so it's like an audible cue for me to know when to inhale and when to exhale. But I could totally see, especially for people who are, you know, in, a, in an office where there's other people working, they don't want that kind of noise, like some kind of haptic sensation for the, for the resonance breathing, which would be yeah. pretty cool. So, we, so I'm, yeah. I'm, glad you're, I'm glad you're working that in. But what I was going to ask you was obviously the resonance breathing because i have it pulled up right now it's doing it um is for me for example the six count in and the six count out but unlike the box breathing there's not a hold so because you have both options in there which one's better for hrv the box breathing or the resonance breathing
0: yeah, yeah, great question. So uh, obviously, like and I should mention this to users as well, I'm uh, oh, sorry, to listeners, uh, hopefully users uh, that uh, you Ben, you're un- under the like the alpha testing group. So you're actually like the one of the first people to ever have this. So consider yourself lucky, my friend, <laughs> but uh, you're one of the first people to have it. And so we've only built in a few of the trainings in thus far. And I'll explain a little bit of those here and the differences between those. But kind of as we progress, um, actually, even the next week, Ben, like in the app, you'll see about 12 new, uh, biofeedback and breathwork practices added in. Uh, but we have, we, we've parsed them out into kind of like different categories. So our first one that we're really focusing on, we kind of term it, it's like our relaxing, calming, like vagal stimulating practice, which includes of course, resonance breathing. We have box breathing. We have custom type of breathings in there where you can set the custom inhales, exhales, and hold times to however long you want to. Uh, we're creating one, um, in there that was, uh, something coined by Dr. Andrew Huberman called the physiological sigh which is a really interesting strategy but all of these are Intended with relaxing and calming the nervous system. So what we will see and this is something to really clarify too is that most people are likely going to see Either some sort of change if not a significant change in heart rate variability when they're engaging in resonance breathing It's very common for people the first time they try doing it to see heart rate variability Significantly increase and the great thing about our application too Is that while you're training you see one heart rate variability metric you also see your stress resilience score, which I'll talk about that here in a bit, you see heart rate, and then you see a timer, obviously, because we like to put that in there. But at the end of your session, you see very advanced uh, HRV biometrics. And you can really look to see how in all different areas, HRV has changed the time domain indices, which there's about five or six of them. And then the frequency domain indices, which there's about five or six of them. And if people don't know what that is, uh, we can talk about that. But also too, within the app, you can just click the info button, and we're going to have a description of what to look for, um, and how it relates to your personalized data. But back to the question about breath holds. So what we actually know is that when, if you're consciously or unconsciously breath holding is that that actually stimulates a bit of a stress response. So let's go back to email apnea, right? So when you hold your breath, and this results in a bit of CO2 pooling, so CO2 pools up, which is our primary stimulus to breathe. And when that happens, um, then we we either catch ourselves or we kind of notice that you know, something seems a little bit off. And then our body naturally, our autonomic nervous system will kick into gear, and then we will breathe. Now, from a heart rate variability standpoint, what we actually know is that that can cause a bit of a decrease in HRV, even if you've changed your respiration rate to a pretty slow. We'll even call it a resonance breathing rate. So why would we include that like why are breath holds important well when we practice conscientious breath holds which is similar very uh dissimilar I should say in some respect to uh, unconscious breath holds like email apnea, what we found in the literature is uh, that there's an interesting response. Yes, you might initially see some changes or fluctuations in heart rate variability in a downward direction, but the recovery period that occurs afterwards because of the vagal stimulating effects that CO2 and slow paced breathing has, we actually see that kind of that post-recovery period of HRV going up. So I would say that a good clarification is that if people do see heart rate variability going down during a practice, it doesn't mean that heart rate variability training or biofeedback is ineffective. These are these practices are causing significant physiological responses in a good way, but a lot of them will come post-recovery, especially subjectively and objectively. You'll see that on the end.
1: Okay. Got it. Now, the the resonance breathing and the box breathing makes sense then. And, and I'll probably just kind of experiment with them and these newer breath work assessments or the breathwork exercise that you have to kind of see what responds best. But in addition to that, under the assessments category, you have that resonance frequency assessment that we talked about, that 12-minute assessment. But then you also have the Bolt score on there. I briefly talked about the Bolt score in the podcast where you, where you take a normal breath into your nose and then a normal breath out through your nose. And after you've taken that normal breath out through your nose, you kind of hold your nose with your fingers and hold your breath. And you see how long you hold your breath. And like, I think a good score is like, you know, 40 plus seconds or something like that. And people who do a lot of breathwork training can sometimes get longer than a minute. But why do you put the, uh, what's the bolt, the body oxygen level test, but the, the, the bolt, why do you put the bolt score on there?
0: Yeah, great question. So one thing to mention, actually, I haven't mentioned it yet, and I feel a little bit bad, is that uh, on our podcast that we do, the Hanu Health Podcast, it's actually co-hosted by Patrick McCune. Um, and so Patrick McCune wrote the book, The Oxygen Advantage, uh, and he's one of the preeminent experts in, in breath work, and he loves what we're doing, and so he's a kind of a part of our crew as an advisor and also a co-host on the podcast. And he created uh, what was called the body oxygen level test. And basically, this is just a test of CO2 tolerance, and it's a test of functional breathing. We know that as someone, uh, if they're experiencing fun- uh, dysfunctional breathing, and that could be related to health concerns, it could be because of stress and anxiety, or just because they're, uh, they've they been conditioned to breathe dysfunctionally throughout their life, then their level of CO tolerance tends to be way down. And we know, again, that CO2 tolerance is actually the reason why we can deliver oxygen to muscular tissue to be utilized Uh, through the Bohr effect. CO2 is actually works as the transporter key to oxygen uh, via hemoglobin. And so this test allows you to kind of see what is your baseline level of CO2 tolerance? And are you experiencing functional breathing? So if it's below 10, we have some significant problems. These are people who have like asthma or maybe even like cystic fibrosis or they are really stressed or they're overworked. We'll see that um, people you know below 20 is still not great but we're working our way up and like you mentioned once you get to 40 and above that's really the the target goal. So we built that there and what you'll see is that across time you can take the test as it was designed by Patrick McCune. You can take the test, and you can look to see whether or not the practices that you're engaging in in Hanu is affecting kind of that level, especially if you're doing a lot of good quality breath hold practices. One of the things that we're also building into the application, which is going to be very directly linked to this Bolt Score body oxygen level test, is we're going to have actual oxygen oxygen advantage practices. So the ones that were developed by uh, Patrick with the intention of increasing CO two tolerance and functional breathing, um, and we'll. Do directly linked to bolt score and so you'll be able to see like if i practice you know one of his practices is called breathe light to breathe right which is a buteco type breathing pattern is that we'll see like how does this actually affect my nervous system response so we're looking at obviously heart rate variability and heart rate and respiration rate but then also how does this affect my bolt score and what most people will see is that the more and more they practice it that bolt score will go up and up and up
1: yeah, I think what's interesting a lot of people don't realize because sometimes we learn that like carbon dioxide is acidotic and you want to be in a state of metabolic alkalosis. You should avoid CO two at all costs. I think a lot of people don't realize how calming CO two can be. I mean, what's his face? Uh, was it was it James Nestor talked about this and breathe? How there's some clinics that will literally do like what's called carbogen therapy, where you'll breathe CO two as a way to build stress resilience and. I think a lot of people listening to the podcast know that a lot of times I'll go on walks and I'll use this one thing developed by another breathwork practitioner named Andres Olson called a relaxator. And I put it in my mouth and it restricts the amount of air that I can exhale thus causing me to retain CO2, kind of similar to like that that uh, elevation training mask that some people will wear when they're exercising or similar to the recommendation to breathe through your nose when you're doing hard exercising. And there's a significant improvement in stress resilience when you do that. I mean, very very similar also to when you're doing like a breath practice, like I'll use the the Othership app, for example, sometimes I do breath work. And a lot of times, some of the sessions you're building up massive amounts of CO2 in your system, And almost like what we were talking about where you should purposefully lower your HRV with specific exercises or purposefully cause blood glucose fluctuations through cold thermogenesis or heat or exercise. In a similar way, you should purposefully actually have periods of time during the day where you're amping up your CO2 levels because the the bounce back effect of that is increased stress resilience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, we say that just like exercise is a stressor on the body and we know the physiological effects both kind of immediately and afterwards, a lot of these breath work practices, especially more oxygen advantage related practices that we've built into the app. And then some of our other more custom type of breathing practices that we, that, that, that we've included, especially like among the uh, performance breathing and focus breathing uh, domains, which are really our practices that we've built to excite the nervous system. Like you're going to see that response. And yes, Initially, when you're doing it, you might see these changes in a downward direction that might not feel very great because you're like, oh man, my heart rate's going up, my HRV is going down. Like, this obviously can't be good for me. But then what you start to see is this compounding effect. Oh man, now throughout the day, my baseline HRV is increasing. Like, it's actually getting better. I feel more resilient because I'm doing these things that do, yes, cause a transient or an acute stress effect, but in the long term, build way more fortitude and resiliency within the nervous system system and that's uh it's invaluable.
1: Yeah, yeah, well it's interesting too because there's I know a few cases where you may actually not want to necessarily have a high HRV. And I talked about how before when you're an athlete or someone who's training and you go through a hard week, yeah, you actually want your HRV to drop and often that drop is associated with a a slight reduction in your resting heart rate. And that can be a sign you're getting super close to an overtrained state. You don't want to stay there for for long at all, like just a couple of days. And then you program in a deload day or a deload week and you super compensate and you get way more fit. But then there's also like this in-between zone that I'm aware of that I wanted to ask you about where when you're training really hard and heavy, and I see this especially in endurance athletes, you'll see an increase in HRV. But the increase in HRV, rather than it being a good increase with kind of like a slight drop In resting heart rate it'll increase and then the resting heart rate will go up and from what i understand and correct me if i'm wrong that's like a sign that you're accumulating fatigue and that would be a a sign that the high hrv may not be a good thing might be increased parasympathetic load meaning like if your hrv is high but then you also notice your resting heart rate is going up that might not be a good high hrv right
0: yeah, then no, you're absolutely correct on that. And again, like it's, it just makes sense to ensure that you're looking at patterns on different metrics. And this is why, again, with when someone does biofeedback or they do what's called a snapshot, and I'd really love to talk about the snapshot feature, Ben, because I know that you, you haven't gotten that yet, but you're getting it soon. But when someone does a snapshot or they do biofeedback, they're going to get these advanced biometrics and they're yeah, going to see. Just talk what about is it right the, now, by
1: the way. F- fill us in on the snapshot thing as you're talking.
0: So one of the things that they're going to look for is like, what are the changes in all data biometric points? Um, So, we're looking to say not just like HRV, but what has happened to heart rate, what has happened to all the domain indices that come along with HRV. And we know a couple of things from research, and then I'll talk about snapshot. So, a couple of things from research is that indeed, if someone has a significant spike or a significant drop in heart rate variability, so kind of either one of two ways, And that also corresponds with an increase in heart rate. So that's the the key variable is that heart rate goes up.
1: Specifically resting heart rate, right?
0: You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Resting heart rate. Then we know that can be uh, signs of fatigue. And so we've seen this on multiple occasions in the research. And then I've worked with a lot of athletes, just as you have been, who I've seen this this case. So what's going on here um, is that when people have overtaxed their nervous system, uh, and let's say we're going to go to the high HRV, high heart rate when they've overtaxed their nervous system, what ends up happening is, is that heart rate goes up because it need, we need to continue to mobilize more energy because the body is still trying to, even though it's trying to repair, it's still out of whack. And so basically the only way that the cardiovascular system can keep up is to pump out more blood and to shunt as much of the energy as we can into cells to repair. Uh, but the, the problem here though, is that when heart rate variability starts to go up or it starts to skyrocket, it's, it's the parasympathetic nervous system really fighting hard and saying, there is something wrong here in terms of repair. Like you look like you're overreaching, you look like you are overtraining. And so it does this compensatory mechanism where you see it goes up, but the body feels absolutely like garbage, like fatigued. Uh, we know that these people have a lot of CRH floating around. So corticotropin releasing hormone, uh, we know that cortisol is typically high with these individuals and we also see the opposite effect of when HRV, sorry, we, you when HRV goes really, really low, but heart rate goes up, then that's another sign. That's kind of the more common one um, that happens. But really, yeah, the high HRV, high uh, heart rate is definitely a sign of burnout and an overtaxation of the autonomic nervous system. And when we start to see that, and we see this with people with depression as well. So people who uh, are just really um, have a lot of malaise, they have a lot of cognitive rumination. uh, It's like they don't want to get up and do anything because the body just wants to park itself because it's says, we've got to recover, but the sympathetic nervous system's like, but you're stressed. So it's like this weird dichotomy and fighting, which represents itself in high HRV and high heart rate. So that's definitely not a good thing. Now to speak real quickly about the snapshot feature, which is what you would use to measure something like this, because... You want to have some consistency. So a lot of applications, yeah, you can take it overnight or you can take it first thing in the morning. I'm a huge fan of first thing in the morning. And the reason being, even though I do look at my aura and my whoop and my Carmen, everything I wear, I wear probably too much, but I'm testing a product. So I'm trying to build a company. So I need to make sure that we're on par. Even though I don't wear my Hanu at night, I don't recommend people sleep with a chest strap on. It's, this is more of a daytime device, but I take it in the morning. And a lot of this comes from Marco Altini's research. He's an advisor to us. He's also an advisor to, to, uh, But he's just kind of the preeminent data scientist in heart rate variability. And what we've found is that when you take your snapshot in the morning, which could just be a one to two, maybe five minute max, we really just say two minutes is pretty good. Even one minute is pretty good. What we're doing here is that we're getting kind of this consistent uh, type of reading that's within context. So first thing in the morning before you've had coffee, before you've really gotten out of bed, I just lay in bed and I take it. What I'm looking for here is I'm looking to say, okay, after I've gotten my rest and recovery and sleep, which should be the most optimal time to repair my autonomic nervous system from a human stress response basis, but also from a performance basis like, where is my heart rate variability compared to all the other days? I think it's the best basis of comparison. So Snapshot allows you to do that and it tracks that. But also too, I utilize Snapshot as a mechanism for testing and tracking. So, you know, there's a lot of companies that will claim like, you know, we can increase HRV by X percent or we do this um, and we do that. And what's great about this one is that you can throw on your Hanu and you can start a timer and you can look to see where your data was initially. You can look to see what happens while you're using like said product or maybe you're in the sauna or maybe you're doing a cold plunge or you're free diving, whatever you're doing. And you can look to see the, the effects over time kind of within this snapshot and start to log them and start to compare them. So I utilize that one a lot. I think that's going to be a fan favorite for many of the biohackers and health optimizers who are self-quantifiers and experimenters.
1: That's super cool. I, I can't wait for that feature to come out. So I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to the, uh, what's it called on my, on my phone? The test flight app for the insider VIP testers. Hey, I I actually had a couple things I was wondering about too. Just random questions that that probably aren't like you know life changing for most people, but I'm just kind of curious. Why do guys seem to have slightly higher heart rate variability than than the ladies do?
0: Yeah, and that's well defined in research. Just in case people are like Ben, why are you uh, trying to give the advantage to the guys here? <laughs> even
1: <laughs> no, it's true. Like I've I've seen it.
0: It it really is so. There's a couple of theories, and then I'll give probably more of a broad answer to it. Um, so what we actually know is that HRV is highly variable and very bio individual. Uh, what we see is that gender makes a difference. Males typically have a higher HRV than females. We know that taller people typically have higher HRV. So I'm like I'm in, I'm in the zone, man. I'm six foot five. I'm male. I'm I'm good to go. <laughs> but and, and then we also know that they are just genetic variables. So we know that if you have a parent who has a natural naturally lower HRV. Again, not a bad thing. I think we really need to highlight that a a low quote unquote low HRV and a low is only when we start comparing ourselves to others. It can be compared to ourselves and I should explain that. um, But but for the sake of this discussion right now, there are variables that are going to impact where your baseline HRV is. So when we go, when we speak to males, a lot of the times males are typically taller and we actually know that taller individuals Um, it will just typically have a higher heart rate variability. Now there's the theory here is, is due to uh, the length of signaling um, when it comes to post ganglion and pre ganglion neurons. And so that's a fancy schmancy way of saying that when we think about our nervous system and the way it connects to different organs, well, males are typically taller and have typically longer uh, nerves. And so signals typically don't shoot as fast or they don't oscillate as fast. And so therefore heart Heart rate variability uh, stays a little bit higher. And again, it's not substantially higher, but it is higher. The other answer to this is that when you ask uh, people who are within the domain of heart rate variability research and cardiovascular research is that we don't fully know. Um, it could be because that uh, males will typically not secrete nearly as much cortisol and norepinephrine and epinephrine throughout the day. Uh, and that could be a feature that's causing less activity in the sinoatrial node or the pace maker of the heart but the end answer is that we don't know specifically we just have these theories that we can throw out Hmm. there
1: Hmm. interesting so the the other thing that that i know is that just like generally people who are cardiovascular well-trained have a higher hrv score but do you think it it differs whether you are fit from a strength training standpoint versus a cardiovascular standpoint like if you're an endurance athlete versus a, a strength athlete
0: Yeah, what I come across in the literature is that the single greatest influencer to heart rate variability is exercise, but more specifically, it's overall cardiorespiratory fitness. So when we look at VO2 max, which is going to, for the most part, favor the endurance athlete over the strength training uh, resistance athlete, is that these individuals who have higher VO2 maxes, have higher cardiorespiratory fitness, typically will have higher HRV. The exception to this is that a lot of endurance athletes are overtraining or they're overreaching, especially if we think about Ironman athletes or those who are doing ultra endurance races, Uh, their HRV can be more suppressed sometimes because of the amount of overtraining. But what we find is, is that when they do take time to recover, it rebounds like crazy and heart rate variability is much higher. What we do see, and this is great, interesting research is that even those who are not paying particular emphasis to endurance training or aerobic training will see, Still have much higher heart rate variability readings, um, it, it, and I should preface this with those who are doing more like weightlifting, who are doing strength training. We still see them having higher heart rate variabilities than those individuals who are either doing limited amounts of aerobic exercise or the ones who are especially stagnant and doing no strength training. So it would only make sense. Um, I should also say one last thing about this. And and again, this might kind of turn us to also discussion on myths is that a lot of people think that, oh, does that mean then that the endurance athlete who has higher cardiorespiratory fitness, because their HRV is higher, does that then mean that they are healthier or they have a longer lifespan than individuals who are just like saying, doing resistance training and not focusing as much on aerobic output? Uh, And the answer to that is that we're comparing apples and oranges here so they're they're Increased HRV is much more of a reflection of their cardiorespiratory fitness status and may not uh and may not tell us anything within that context about their psychological or emotional well-being, which could be significantly impacting their overall health and lifespan. So I think there's just a lot of nuances there that need to be addressed because sometimes people just think, oh, higher is better, and I need to get that up as high as possible. Well, it's not gonna necessarily hurt, uh, but it's also maybe kind of the, the intention may be incorrect. And I think the intention here really matters.
1: Okay. All right. That makes sense. Well, gosh, we've, we've covered a ton related to this app and measuring HRV. I guess probably one important thing is even though I'll put all the details at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Hanu podcast, you mentioned a few times as that I, that I'm kind of like doing some insider beta testing of this thing. And I believe that this recording we're doing right now is going to come out pretty soon after we record it. So is this actually like available yet for people to get or where, where are we at in terms of it being available?
0: Yeah, absolutely, so yeah, you're a part of the Alpha Testing Group, uh, and we were going to originally release to market in October, so on October 1st, but uh, we're crashing that, my friend, and hopefully that's a happy thing for everybody. We're actually going to market on August 1st, um, so we moved it up a couple months, which we're very excited about, but also very nervous about. You can go on uh, to hanuhealth.com slash bin, and I know we have a coupon code for you, I believe it's bin40, and you can pre-order the device now, and we'll sh- start shipping on August 1st. First, um, the retail device is it's $300 and that gives you 12 months' access uh, to our software and IP platform. And then you also get the device in and of itself. So we just include uh, the chest strap with it. And uh, it, it's $300, but that 40% brings it down to 180 bucks. And the one thing that we're trying to do to like throw the icing on the cake here is that anybody who pre orders, like if they listen to this podcast and they pre order for that crazy, you know, 40% off price, we're actually going to throw in weekly webinars and A's with me. They're live weekly webinars with me, where you can come on, listen to kind of all the things that we're adding into the app, all the things to expect, get a little bit of like didactic education on how to use it and kind of what to look for, how to personalize it. But also to ask me any questions that you may have about your data and your experience. So we see this as a good opportunity to really kind of engage with our customer base and give them a little bit, uh, uh, you know, extra for, you know, being the first in.
1: Sweet, I dig it. It's it's super simple to use. Not not too many bells and whistles, but enough to where you can really control your HRV and learn a lot about your real time biofeedback. So I dig it, Jay, and I, I appreciate you coming on the show to share all this with us. And it's kind of fun for me to have you on the podcast and have you do most of the talking instead of me because usually it's the Q and A episodes where I'm supposed to, you know, talk and you know I get to shut my yapper and just listen to you on this episode. So. Thanks for coming on, man.
0: Yeah, man. You always steal my thunder on the Q and A. So I wasn't gonna let I wasn't gonna let you do it here.
1: <laughs> I hear you. All right. Well, all the show notes are gonna be at Ben GreenfieldLife.com slash Hanu podcast, H-A-N-U podcast. And uh I'm gonna go play around with all these new breathing tactics I've learned, Jay. And I appreciate you and everything you're doing for helping people out with their stress, man.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less. Thank you.